It was just a supply which they had elected to insure to say if something happens to that supply that I'm dependent on, if it's a peril such as fire, flood, theft, whatever that, that we insure, happens to them, that impacts potentially my revenues, I want to insure them. Welcome to the Business Behind Your Business, conversations to help your business grow and thrive. Hi, I'm Paul Sweeney, founder of Predium Solutions, chartered accountants and certified business advisors, hosting the Business Behind Your Business. Welcome to the Business Behind Your Business and uh, welcome back to Dave Ferris. We had had previously we've talked about insurance and general insurances that a business owner might need but today we're going to unpack um we're going to look at the topic of business interruption insurance and how that works so welcome back dave hey thanks paul dave's from uh Develle corp and over 35 years of experience with insurance so knows his stuff um has been working with small and medium and, and larger businesses mm-hmm. over this time so well placed to talk about this topic of business interruption now we, we've talked generally about it, and business interruption is is one of those, um, I guess, types of insurance that business owners don't consider until they've had an event and they think they can claim. Yeah. So, is that would that be? Yeah, I guess it's it's not until you. Um, uh, well, I guess we've been involved with many many claims, and we get to see a whole range of scenarios and how people respond to an incident. So, as part of your risk management strategy, is is thinking of contingency plans post a loss. All right. So even forget insurance and think about your own contingency plans. If you weren't able to get access to your building, whether it's because there was a tenant in the same building uh, suffered a misfortune and you just don't have access for two weeks to the building as a result of that, or you've lost a critical piece of machinery, um, or um, you know, you've totally destroyed your premises and it's, it's, it doesn't exist anymore. These are the sort of things you need to sort of have a bit of a think about. What are your own contingency plans? What, what are your plans that you'd like to put in place if such a scenario arose? Mm. Then think about how the insurance can respond to help you achieve that. Yep. All right? So you could be, um, you could be a simple uh, office um, and the landlord has a really poor roof maintenance program and you're continually having water damage and water damage such that um, eventually the roof collapses in the event of a storm and you've got a unit that you cannot occupy. So what are you going to do? So if you've got your contingency mindset in place that says, um, well, actually, we've already understand we, we're in the cloud, so all we need to do is we don't need another server. We can just access our technologies um, anywhere remotely. Um, we need to empower our, our team to be, to be remote and mobile. Um, so that's a way. And so the insurance policy simply then says, well, I'm not going to lose revenue, but it's going to cost me a little bit more to operate. So I just want to insure my additional extra costs of working rather than insuring my profit because I won't lose profit as soon as I'm set up somewhere else. Yeah. Rather than a manufacturer relying on a machine that fails, and we've had a serious claim in Melbourne was $3 million machinery caught fire. It took two years to replace it. So the whole idea is can we operate on our other machines at spare capacity? Yes, but it's going to cost us more because we have to pay overtime for staff. Yeah. All right. Or we have to modify other machinery to enable us to do those runs. So you've already have to have a bit of a think about how you'd like your contingency plans to come into effect. Mm. And then the insurance then gets structured to respond so that you can be given a check to give you, uh, you know, to provide you funds to, to d- deliver on additional overtimes. Um, so, so, sometimes it could be 
you might set up in an alternative premises and you've got to run a little bus service to get the people from your place, which is right at the train station, to a new place a kilometre away. It's all about what's required to enable you to continue generating your revenues. Mm. And and those are aspects I think a lot of business owners don't consider Mm. until until the event happens. But I think it needs to be part of everybody's, I guess, at least an annual review of if something happened to our business, what... What do we need to do? And, mm. and and a lot of the time, people we, we always say that you can't. It won't happen to me mm. because of mm. X, Y, Z. Well, mm. it might not happen to you, but it might happen to the guy in the office next to you. Yep. And we've we've seen a situation recently where uh, um, an air conditioning unit failed and caused fire damage, and there was smoke damage, not just in that immediate office, but the whole, the whole floor got mm. had to was um, unusable for six months. Well, it's health reasons as well. Yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. So it might not just be what's going to happen go wrong in your business, it's, it's mm. what's happening outside of your business yeah. that you can't control, mitigating those risks. Yep. And, and we're talking about manufacturing, but what about retail? How, do, how does that help? Because I, I know I've had a situation where a retailer had a, a, a street-facing entrance yep. and the council had decided to do some major roadworks and, and limited access to his shop for three months. Mm-hmm. So is that something that well, you I guess, plan for in that sort of situation? I guess generally the business interruption policy still requires a trigger yep. for a loss, an insurable loss under the property policy. Yep. All right? And so if... if you know, and, and, they're very complex wordings. There's a whole range of other little scenarios which actually aren't property damage related, but it could be closure by a public authority. It could be prevention of access, but these still relate to an insurable event. So think of the bushfires up in the Blue Mountains. If at the end of the day, there's property damage being incurred all over the Blue Mountains and the authorities just say, we're shutting down access to the Blue Mountains, even though your property is not damaged, but the authority has said, we don't want anybody in there for a safety reason. As a result of the property damage, we're shutting down the suburb. You can't go in. Yeah. So then that, is, that, that triggers the loss. All right? But if it's just in the scenario you prompted where they're just putting in new piping and there's no access, or they're, let's say, putting a tram a railway down the middle of George Street in the city, yeah, it happens. Um, there's still got to be an insurable trigger. Yeah. All right? Yeah. And so, but as a business, you've got to think of these contingencies. You know, have a bit of a think. I mean, well, okay, what would happen if? And don't just think the, you know, the worst scenario being a being a, a major fire. Think of what could happen in our area. What could happen? Are we bushfire exposed? Are we flood exposed? Because mm. um, you know, you might not have a flood damage to your building, but the general area is damaged, and nobody can get in or out to your building. Yeah, suppliers can't deliver. Customers can't pick up, and so you're affected by a flood. So, do you actually have flood cover? as a trigger to prompt um, the, the business interruption. Mm. Yeah, so you just touched on something there, talking about um, getting delivery from your supplier, but mm. if you're heavily reliant on a particular supplier yeah. in your business yeah. and something happens to that supplier, is, is that something that a business can yeah. insure for? Absolutely. In fact, one of the largest, this is going back to the, the 90s, one of the largest uh, suppliers' claims happened for with a, a, um, a confectionery manufacturer in, in Lithgow who was dependent upon an essence of mint coming from Italy. And there was floods in Italy. That essence of mint, they can't use any other essence under this brand, uh, couldn't be supplied. And so it, at that time, this is in the, in the, I think it was early 90s, it was a $3 million loss and there was no property damage anywhere. 
Mm. It was just a supply which they had elected to insure to say if something happens to that supply that I'm dependent on, if it's a peril such as fire, flood, theft, whatever that, that we insure happens to them that impacts potentially my revenues, I want to insure that. And, and a lot of property policies enable that to happen. Uh, it doesn't have to be a $3 million loss, but it's called suppliers uh, specified, suppliers and customers extension. So if something happens to your customer even, yeah. and they're no longer buying from you because of a fire, mm. then that's a, a, a trigger for your business interruption. Yeah. So it's suppliers and customers. You can specify them, name them, and, and they'll be covered. There's also a lower limit typically available for unspecified suppliers and customers, mm. where it's just, well, I hadn't anticipated these guys you know, being affected or impacted, and I'm surprised they impacted my revenues. That's a trigger for a loss. Uh, let's evaluate a claim. So. so we're coming back to this issue of looking at and identifying what are the risks for your business. Yeah. And I think really, as a business owner, that's got to be a crucial step mm. in your annual process, yeah. identifying what your risks are and and not just insuring, but actually working on strategies in yeah. your business of how yeah. you're going to mitigate yep. those risks. And so um, a, a, a prudent insurance broker should not be selling policies unless they've undertaken a risk profile exercise with the client. Mm. We, we find in our discovery meetings, this is uh, where most of the value is derived because it's a lot, sort of like penny dropping moments when you're probing and talking just generally about the way they operate their business and where their customers are derived from, where the suppliers are, um, and understanding how they operate, what would happen in the event of a loss. And a lot of times they don't think about that. Mm. So you get them talking and the next thing you're developing risk matrices with them and determining whether we want to ensure this or just manage the risk. And then at the end of the day, what's left is a, a desire to transfer what's what there's no tolerance to absorb themselves on their own balance sheet. So that hones in then, based on the scenarios, where you need to go and seek a risk transfer product or an insurance product um, to address that for the business. Mm. So it's a journey from understanding risk, how you want to manage that risk, and then in the case of a, of a scenario, what sort of contingencies have you contemplated that we can then tailor the insurance to respond for you? Mm. And so... Uh, do business owners need to document that process or how they're going to manage their risk as part of this insurance process? Look, it's, it's ideal to do that um, uh, because the, these documents, these contingency plan documents, uh, evolve as, as, as we've seen this year. Uh, the, the contingencies unfolding that people had not anticipated. So you've got to have a way of being able to respond. Boards do this. Yeah, for entities, smaller businesses need to have a way of engaging to keep this on people's radar to say, okay, how are we responding? You, know, you develop a new customer, all of a sudden that customer becomes 80% of your business. And it's like, well, okay, how's that impacted my contingency planning? Yep. How are we going to manage if something happens to that customer? So contingency planning is really critical, as, as, as you've seen, even when you're talking about the criticality of individual operators in a business you know key man in in, from an operational point of view what happens to that person if they're no longer with the business anymore so it's part of this overall contingency planning is what would happen what could happen um, and then just putting a plan in place Mm. um, to ensure that uh, the business is protected so there's longevity and continuity yeah and I think in terms of risk like often you mentioned boards for for small Mm. business owners Mm. or for any Mm. business owner but 
in terms of risk, so if you're talking about it at a board level, you're mm-hmm. often talking at it at different angles. And I'm, yeah. I'm thinking, well, in terms of risk, there, there's not just the insurance uh, or the, mm. the business insurance, but you also you mentioned key man, so you need your your life and income yep. insurance uh, advice there. But I, I'm the the business lawyer could actually help you in structuring your contracts to sort of reduce your risk mm-hmm. and, and working with your accountant to actually assess the financial impact. So, yeah. so I, I, more and more, what I'm seeing is that as a business owner, you know, you're good at what you do, but you need that team yeah. of experts advising you to get the best outcome so that you can actually concentrate on running your business. And exactly. I think that's that's the why yeah. we do these things yeah. as well. And the beauty of, of this uh, advisory board structure is that you have a, an issue that's presented uh, by a, a business and it needs to be addressed. That same issue needs to be addressed from a legal perspective, financial perspective, and a risk perspective. Yeah. And to be able to to say, okay, well, have we addressed these risks appropriately for my business? And who am I going to lean into for consistent advice about that? Um, you know, the answer comes through these these board structures. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So that business interruption is is a key thing in which is yeah we've, we said it's often overlooked until people need to make mm. a claim, but but you can actually put in place a plan to help manage that risk or yep. even determine how much that risk is that you're willing yep. to accept yourself. Now, are, are there times when your insurance won't cover certain events? <laughs> something we've been asked a lot at, at the moment. Look, um, typically, well, the answer is yes, all right, because it's not, there, there's no um, magic bullet with any policy, all right? So there's always exclusions um, and 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 that's dis, that's that's completely separate to the idea of if there's been a, a non-disclosure to an insurer of of what the business actually is and, and how they control their risk, um, they might decline based on misrepresentation or non-disclosure. So so even if you have a policy in place, if 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 it hasn't been communicated properly to the insurer when they quote, they still may look for an out. Mm-hmm. And you know, to be honest, the the Australian insurance. Industry at the moment is in a it's a bit of a basket case. Right. Um, you know, profitability is uh, is low. Capacity is hard to achieve. Prices are increasing. Excesses are increasing, and coverage is contracting. So it's a really tough environment. And so, uh, sadly, what's happening as well is insurers are denying claims and they wait for a response. Hmm. And so that's generally. Um, and so you need a broker then to actually go in and fight for you. So the other part of, um, instead of doing this yourself directly, but relying on an insurance advocate, is they fight for you in the event of a claim. Hmm. All right. And I'm, I'm guessing that as a broker, an experienced broker, so we talk, you've got 35 years experience in the industry, you're going to know the right way to approach this much better than me as a business owner yeah. who's, who's gone off and done this yeah. myself on a, on a website. So you're going to know the best approach. You're going to know what I need to do what documentation I need to get to, to yep. support my client. And that's where a lot of the value comes in of using a broker. And I guess we as a company, um, we're in the business, our business uh, is about providing um, excellent risk and insurance advice that results in a superb claims outcome. At the end of the day, a superb out- claims outcome can only be achieved if you've done all the, all the proper risk and placement strategies properly. Because if you put in a, an improper cover, you'll get a bad claims outcome. Yeah. Right? If you've misaligned the risk and the, the policy and the, the limits and excesses, you're going to get an unhappy client 
come claim time. So the whole idea is do all that hard work, do all that risk profiling, identify the cover, collaboratively work with the client on the, on the different solutions so that when a claim happens, there's no surprises. But if there is a surprise, because the insurance company's not playing game, then that's when you go in and fight hard. Mm-hmm. And, and unfortunately, we're finding we're having to do, not just us, but as an industry, we're having to fight insurers for a better claims response than their first um, initial um, decline. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I guess the other aspect of that is that when you're in a situation where you're having to claim, you've got a lot of distress and emotional yeah. issues to deal with at the time. The last thing you want to do yeah. with directly is a, an insurance company. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and so uh, people at claim time are very vulnerable. And so, yeah, as a broker, to be able to stand there and hold your client's hand as the place is burning or smouldering or, and say, it's under control, don't worry, yeah, leave it to us, we've got this with you, all right? It, it's, it's comforting. Um, where, where clients have tried to save money by um, uh, declaring lesser values than they should, we, we can't cope with that. We, it's, a, it's something that we don't endorse at all because we know when claims happen the insurers roll out these punitive clauses called average clauses or co-insurance clauses and it just it, it's it's a bon, it's an abominable um insurer response to a client hmm. but the penalty is 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 correct because the client has not disclosed fully all right so from our client's point of view what we try to do is make sure the clients up front have declared properly um, responded to um, all the questions that we require for the insurer to understand. Insurers ask different questions on different classes, and we have to know that so that you get um, a superb claim, claims outcome at the end. Mm. Uh, look, that, that's what we want to achieve. We, well, one, we don't want to mm. be in a position where we need to claim, but if mm. we do, we want to make sure that we've got everything prepared and yep. we've got the right team working for us. So so how do our listeners get in touch with you, Dave? Well, I guess we go straight to the website. All the W's are riskybusiness.com.au. Risky business. So I think very topical, very easy to remember risky business and because um, we want to avoid or we want to manage our risks. So great, great. It doesn't have to be a risky business. That's yeah. correct. So Dave, thanks for your time again today. Um, so much more on this insurance topic to unpack. So we're going to get you back and I think we're going to talk on cyber insurance in, in an upcoming episode because I think that's also something that a lot of business owners are concerned about at the moment. Good. Excellent. Thanks Thank for the opportunity. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for listening. Do you have a question you'd like our team of experts to answer? If you do, send your question to podcast at thebusinessbehindyourbusiness.com. To hear more from The Business Behind Your Business, don't forget to subscribe using your favourite podcast player. Or you can visit thebusinessbehindyourbusiness.com website.